Welcome to Parkview, everybody. It's baseball season. Woo, let's hear it. April Fools, I'm not a Cub fan anymore. I got to go back. I'm off the bandwagon, okay, guys? I'm sorry. I got to go back to my cardinal roots. Hey, welcome. We're glad that you're here, all of our campuses. Um, you know, it's frustrating not to get to go where you want to go, right? I mean, we all know that. You know, you pack up the family and you go to Wally World and you get there and it's closed. You know, when there's a closed door, it's just always obnoxious. It, it was for this poor guy. I mean, just imagine... <laughs> what it feels like to be him. And there are times when separation is good, but usually I hate it when I get somewhere and their closed sign is up. And basically what we're doing right now, in case you're visiting with us, you're new, uh, we're doing the book of Leviticus, which is the story of God opening the door. Okay, that, that's my summation of it. It's, it's about how God opened the door. We, we didn't have access to God before because of sin, and now we have access to God. In the beginning, we had harmony, okay, my Thomas the Train thing. We had harmony with God, and there was no cancer, there was no death, there were no tears, no pain, no poverty, nothing bad, and we were in perfect relationship with God. Everything connected the way that it was supposed to. But God gave us freedom. We chose, Adam and Eve chose to sin, to eat the apple, to bring the relationship into a tailspin, to rupture the harmony that was going on between us and God. We turned our back on God, and now whenever God tries to get close to us, the magnets just don't work. And whenever we try to get close to God, we just can't do it because of the, the barrier of sin that is there in between us. And the curtain was closed to us. Violence and disease and selfishness and all those things entered into our world and ruptured the relationship that we had in between us and God. And so now there's a curtain, okay? That, that, that's the sin problem that we have. Suddenly God is at a distance, not because he left us, but because we left him. At the very beginning of the book of Leviticus is one word in Hebrew, vayikra, which means, and God called. Right? It's not God's fault that we have this problem, this separation problem, but the problem is there. And so God called and he set up a way to try to get as close to him as we possibly could. And he continues to draw us to himself in whatever way he can throughout history. So he starts with a guy named Abram, turned into Abraham along the way, the father of many nations. He said, I want you to start following me. I want you to walk with me. And I know that you're old and you don't have any kids at all, but I'm going to bless all the nations of the world through you. You're going to have more descendants in the sands of the seashore. And it was hard for Abram to, to believe all that, but he believed God. He packed up the RV and off they went following God on this crazy journey and having this incredible promise happen of having a child in old age and, and his name was Isaac. And Isaac grew and had Jacob and Jacob had 12 sons, one of which was Joseph. And along that time, all the world had to go to Egypt because of a famine, and Joseph was already there because of God's providence. And they went to Egypt, and Joseph rescued his brothers and his family. But by that time, all of Israel had gone to Egypt because it was the only place there, were any, there was any food. And then, like the Israelites are like bunnies because they were just multiplying and multiplying and multiplying. So 400 years later, you got basically probably at least a million Israelites that are living in, in the Jewish in the Egyptian system, in the Egyptian country, and in their, in their, in their, in their system of, of governance and everything else that's going on, all these Israelites are there, and everybody's looking at them like, well, wait a minute, are these people going to take over? 
And so Pharaoh started to enslave them and started to say, no, no, Israelites have no rights. They, they have to be slaves. They're going to make bricks for all the things that we're going to build. And the Jews ended up suffering terribly, right? This is the backstory of all this. And in their bitterness, they cried out to God, hey, God, I thought we were supposed to be the chosen people. You made a promise to us what's going on. And God heard their cry, and God called, Vaikra. And he found a man whose name was Moses. He had him all set up all along, grew up in Pharaoh's household, had fled and come back. And God says, I want you to lead my children out of Egypt, and I'm going to help you. And they got out of Egypt, and they got to the base of Mount Sinai, and God called again, Vaikra. And he gave them the Ten Commandments, and he gave them the law, which make up uh, the, the, the basis of the judicial system of the Old Testament. And he said, if you will follow the law, if you will do these things, you will get as close to me as you possibly can. This is the way I'm calling you back into a relationship with me, but you're going to have to do these things because I'm holy and you're not holy and you don't know what holiness looks like, so I'm going to set up all of these laws and you're going to be as holy as you possibly can. And he said, as we're wandering around the desert because you were too faithless to decide to go into the promised land at the right time, so for 40 years you're going to wander around in the, in the desert and while this is going on, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to do everything I can to be as close to you as I possibly can. So I'm going to be in here. I'm going to be in this tabernacle. This is a picture of the tabernacle. And you're going to be out here. And this is as close as you're going to be able to get to me. God was here in the Ark of the Covenant and in the Holy of Holy place. And then this was just the regular holy place. And then this was the courtyard, the wash basin, and the, and the, and the fire pit where they were making the sacrifices. And God's people could come and they could bring their sacrifices for sin and they would sacrifice them on the altar there and God would dwell here. And here is an artist's rendition picture of what it would have looked like back in the day when they're wandering around through the desert because it said that there was a pillar of fire at night and a pillar of clouds by day so the people knew where to go. God would literally lead them with this pillar that was basically above the Ark of the Covenant and they would travel around wherever they wanted to go and the people would camp out and they would get as close as they possibly could. That's all they could do. That's the book of Leviticus. They wanted to get closer, but they didn't have the pass, okay? I'll tell you my story. 1991, I've been a pastor here for a year. I know that's a long, long, long time ago. Most of you don't remember 1991. Many of you don't remember the band Sticks, but <clears throat> they were one of the best rock bands in human history. Can I just get an amen? Uh, come on. Southsiders, right? Made it big. Awesome music for the old farts in here like me. They grew up during that time. Huge deal. So one day I get a phone call at the office. Small little church we're in over in Tinley Park. And, and, and the person on the other line says, hey, the band Sticks is doing their reunion concert. 1991, they made it kind of come back and they were doing a reunion concert. And, and the bass player, John Panazzo, wants to get married on stage. And we're looking for a pastor who will do it. We've called around to a lot of churches, and we can't seem to find very many people that want to do it. I'm like, sticks, yes! 
I will do it. And then I hung up and I thought, um, maybe I ought to ask the elders and see if this is a good idea. And so we all talked about it. And we thought, you know, I don't know if it makes sense or not. Obviously, we couldn't do premarital counseling because it was like the next night, you know. And, and as it all turned out, I did it. And as it turned out, I, I was able to have a relationship with them. We went to the, the, the dinner that they had when they got off a tour. And, and they, they were a great couple. But anyway, I got the pass, okay. I got the all-access pass to get to go wherever I wanted to go. And I know when I bring up the story, you're going to be curious, you want to see it. So I dug out the video just a little bit right before the wedding, and then I skipped through the wedding and show you the end just so you can see. Yep, yep. That was me. Who, who was there? Who was there? Somebody in every crowd was at that concert, 1991. Anybody? All right, see, see, you're like, I had no idea that was you, man. That's so great. Every, 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 every service. That was a long time ago. That trivia question, 14,000 people. That was the largest wedding I've ever done. 14,000 people, uh, most of them wasted by that time. Um, so they did the whole concert. They do Come Sail Away, you know, their flagship song. Everybody knows it's going to be an encore. And instead of an encore, here I come and I do a wedding. And then Tommy Shaw kicked into Renegade. It was a moment. I mean, it was just like, it was a moment. But, but my point is, my, myself, my wife, and my sister-in-law, who was doing a very bad job videotaping, um, we all got, I still got this. I kept, I kept, I've cleaned out my desk drawer many, many times. And for some reason, I keep this. It's a reminder of a time when I got to go anywhere I wanted to go at the First Midwest Amphitheater. I got to walk around. Nobody could stop me. I would walk up, and people would be like, oh, yeah, come on in. Of course, I'm the only guy there in a suit at a Styx concert, you know. So they knew something weird was up. But I had the access. That's what the book of Leviticus is. It's about how to give us the access as best we could. And we couldn't have direct access into the tabernacle. We couldn't go in, but at least the priest had an access pass. And that's how it worked, okay? And the job of the priest would be that they would go in and they would make sacrifices. They got a pass so that they could go in here and they would make sacrifices right here on this huge brazen altar. They had their little pass on and they walked in and they made sacrifices. And they made five different kinds of offering sacrifices. There was the burnt offering, first of all, which was a, a cleanliness offering. And it was something you just brought in your bull or your lamb or whatever it was, and you, you just burnt up the whole thing, the burnt offering. I know some of you young married guys are like, yeah, I had that for dinner last night. Hey, don't worry. It's going to get better, okay? Then there was, a, there was the grain offering, which was no blood involved. It was they'd bring the grain, and they would just sacrifice it to God. It was a Thanksgiving offering, if you will. And then there were three offerings where they would come, and fellowship offering, and the sin offering, and the guilt offerings, and they would use those offerings as a way to cover their sin. So that, so that whenever they sinned and they were really, really far away from God, they would bring the offering and, they, and that sacrifice would bring them as close as they could. It would get them as close to being backstage as they possibly could. Now why would that have to happen? I don't know why blood is required for sin, but that was the law. It was like gravity. It's just the way that it is, okay? There has to be a payment for breaking the law. If you break the speed limit and you get caught, there has to be a payment. Even if you're really, really sorry, and I know you're not sorry, I know you, you still have to pay the penalty. If there is no payment for wrongdoing, there is no justice. And if there is no justice, there is there's no society. It just doesn't work. So the big problem was that the sacrifices had to be continually repeated 
all the time. There's a nonstop fire pit going on and a line of people with animals going, yeah, I blew it again. Oops, I did it again. Here's my sacrifice. i got to bring it in. Because our unholiness kept separating us from God over and over and over again. Which leads us back to the curtain. Because separating that holy of holy place from the regular place, only the priest could go in here, was the holy of holies. Pastor Todd and, and, and Renee did a great job last week of explaining all this. But the curtain was there. It was beautiful. It was ornate. It was, you know, very decorative. It was very costly. But its purpose was separation. Because behind that was the, the holy of holy place where only the high priest could go. And he could only go once a year on Yom Kippur, if you've heard of that Jewish holiday, the Day of Atonement. He would go in trembling on behalf of the other people. He had the full access backstage pass. And he would go in and he would have a conference with God once a year. And it was so sacred behind there that they literally tied a rope around his leg in case he went in and passed out or had a heart attack and, and they, were, they didn't know what they couldn't. Nobody else could go in. So he would just rot in there if they didn't tie a rope around his leg. And inside of the Holy of Holies was, again, the Ark of the Covenant. We've talked about this along the way. The Ark of the Covenant overlaid with gold. Seraphim up on top, the angels up on top, the cherubim whose wings are spread out. And this top of this, this area of the Ark of the Covenant was called the mercy seat. It was literally where God's mercy came down and gave us access to him. Inside of this are the Ten Commandments and Aaron's rod and some manna. And there was just so much power that emanated from this. That, that you couldn't touch it, you couldn't see it. The only time the children of Israel got a chance to see it was when it was being transported from one place to another. And the reason there were poles on here is because you couldn't touch it. One time, a couple of priests actually started to slip and a couple of priests touched it and they died instantly. There was that kind of power, that kind of holiness, which again represents to me the problem that we had here. Only the high priest could go in one time a year because we couldn't get any closer. It's not that God wanted it that way. It's just that he's the son and we can't get close to him. Uh, for those of you who are too young to remember, here's Steven Spielberg's version of what it would look like if the Nazis found the Ark of the Covenant. And don't worry, I took out the face melting. Here you go. You remember the face melting though, don't you? You're like, oh, good, he took it out. Okay, good, I got you. I think, I think we ought to have, like, you know how that Easter tradition used to be, watch the Ten Commandments on Easter night? I think, like, a couple of weeks before, the tradition ought to be watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. The, the truth of the matter is, what the, and those of you young people that don't understand this movie, the Nazis thought if they found the Ark, and we don't know where the Ark is, if they found the Ark, it would have the power of God in it, and it would give them power. And the truth of the matter is, at one point, the Philistines did steal the Ark of the Covenant from the children of Israel, and that's basically what happened. They had this plague, they had all kinds of, they finally ended up bringing it back and like, sorry, we're sorry we took this. We don't want this anymore because it represented the power of God. And if you didn't go through the right system and if you didn't have the right access pass to get to it, then, then, then you were going to be in trouble. So there was the one day, the Day of Atonement, it's kind of like Christmas for them because, you know, the priest would come out every, every, every Day of Atonement. He would go in, he would be with God, he would come back out, and he would say, everything's okay, God's not angry with you, it's all going to be all right, your sins have been atoned, they have been paid for. 
And I guess it was kind of like you get to the end of Saturday and you have all the honeydew list checked off, guys, you know. And it's kind of like you got that one moment where you're like, okay, I'm done. No, you, you don't know what that's like, do you? Because it's never done, right? Okay? And, and that was the whole problem because they would wake up the next day and the Day of Atonement was over and now they were starting all over. And go, guess what would happen? They would sin again. So they would go back and they would sacrifice more animals. And it was this constant reminder that their sin was separating them from God, that there was something in between. And the veil would remain in place, separating them from the Holy of Holies. They couldn't go back in here. You know what it's like when you want to be with someone on the other side of the curtain? That's how, that's how they lived all of their life. For us, I mean, a story was uh, 1995. Our, our daughter, who's 27, was five years old, and she got pneumonia. And we didn't know it and didn't catch it in time. She's got a high threshold for pain, and um, probably because she's my daughter. And uh, she got pneumonia and got it, you know, so bad that it started to leak outside of her lungs, and it became an empyema. So those of you in the medical profession know what that is. Mostly older people get it. The infection started to seep out of her lungs and harden on the outside of her lungs. And so we took her to Palos Hospital, put her on, you know, high doses of antibiotics. Didn't work, didn't work. They finally said, we're going to have to take her to Loyola. Took her to Loyola, put her on higher doses of, of antibiotics. Still didn't work. And finally, they said, you know what, well, we're going to have to go in and literally peel the infection off of her lungs. Five years old. So we're like, okay, and they said, it's not going to be a problem, you know, get the chest tubes, it's going to take a long recovery, all those kinds of things, but, but we, we got this. Had a lot of confidence in the doctor. So they wheeled her off, and they took her in the operating room. That's what I'm talking about. You know, you know what it's like when, when there's somebody on the other side that you want to be with so much, but you can't. And I'll never forget the feeling of, of sitting in the room. They were supposed to bring her back to her regular hospital room, and they literally took her right down the hallway, and they said, hey, we're not going to bring her in here now. She needs to be hooked up to some more machines. We're going to take her to pediatric intensive care. Pediatric intensive care at Loyola Hospitals, not a fun place. Other kids died while Lauren was there. And, of course, it was December 23rd because it's always, like, the worst possible timing when these things happen, right? Well, obviously, she's married, has my granddaughter now. I mean, everything, everything turned out well. But that feeling of separation of, oh, wait, I want to be with her. And even in pediatric intensive care, there were only certain hours that we had access. It didn't matter that I was the parent. It didn't matter anything. Didn't, I couldn't pull my clergy badge out very easily either. I didn't have access to her. And that's how the children of Israel were. That's the paradox of the curtain of the temple veil. God wants to be with his people. Tabernacle, little, tabernacle, the word, literally means to dwell with. To dwell with. That's what it was. But the curtain was closed. God says, I want to be with you, but this is as good as we can get. You can get close, but this is as good as you can get. And basically, that's how the Old Testament ends. God is behind the veil. He's on the other side of that. There's a rupture in the relationship. We can't get close. And there's silence for 400 years, and it's never really going to work. Because, as Paul says later, all who rely on observing the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. This system was great for the Old Testament. It was, it was great to get people as close as they possibly could. 
But you had to keep it all or keep going through sacrifices. And who knew where you were with God at any given moment? And yet, all through the Old Testament, there is the promise of a Messiah. And 400 years of silence, then God calls out again, Vaikra. And this time, it's not to a chosen group of people. It's to anyone, to you and to me. And the deliverer is not Moses, it's Yeshua, it's Jesus, whose name means Savior. And God is basically saying in the New Testament, at, at, at Christmas time, at, at Easter time, he's basically saying, remember the relationship we used to have that was torn apart? Remember the promise that I made to Abraham, and the promise that I made to Moses, and the promise that I made to David all the way through? Well, that promise is going to come true, and now it is true forever and ever because I'm sending the perfect Lamb of God to take away the sin of the world. The people for years waited behind the veil for the priest to go in and to come back out again and to say, God has forgiven you. And now all of a sudden, we don't have to worry about the veil anymore. Because why? Because God, here's the message paraphrase, God became flesh and pitched his tent right here among us. He tabernacled among us. He He dwelt with us. And when John the Baptist saw him 30 years later coming down the desert and he knew it was the right time, he said, look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Finally, the perfect sacrifice to go on that altar to take care of the sin of the world. And here by the curtain, you and I both know that we want to be more than anything else. We want to be with God. We want to be on the other side. But at the same time, we know we don't deserve to be in there because we know that we've sinned. I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that that's how the whole thing works. I can think of a thousand ways that I've disappointed God. And I can't keep up with the rules, and I'm cursed if I have to follow the rules all the time because I'm not holy and you're not holy, and that's how it works. So we stand close to God as close as we can, but we know that we can't go in there. We know that we can't get beyond the veil. But listen to what Paul says. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming the curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree, which was the cross. He redeemed us in order that the blessing that was given to Abraham in the beginning might come to the Gentiles, which is all of us non-Abraham descendants, through, Jesus, through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And in case you didn't see it spiritually, in case you didn't see it spiritually speaking that Jesus came to become the Lamb and make the sacrifice for all sins, God demonstrated it physically during the crucifixion. From the sixth hour till the ninth hour, darkness came over the land while Jesus is hung on the tree. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And when Jesus cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Not from bottom to top symbolizing the fact that we finally made our way through to God, that we finally got our backstage pass. It was torn into from top to bottom. God physically saying, we don't need this thing anymore. Here's Mel Gibson's interpretation. Interesting thing to me is about the religious leaders, how he did that in that scene. I think that's beautiful. They were so distraught. They were so distraught, and yet... They didn't understand 
they, they thought the Holy of Holies was destroyed. Maybe nobody was going to be close to God anymore. But this is the best news ever. There is no more need for the Holy of Holies. They just didn't get it. Sure, they were now unemployed. Maybe that was part of their problem. But spiritually speaking, this is the best thing that could have happened. Listen to the writer of Hebrews. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we can confidently, confidently, okay? I can come in. I can come in and be here, be a part of the Holy of Holies. I can boldly enter the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, because of the blood of Jesus. There is a new and living way open for us through the sacred curtain. That is his body. And since we have a new high priest, and he is Jesus Christ, and since we have the great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and full assurance that our faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, having our bodies washed with pure water, Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised is faithful. That's a good story. That's the the New Testament. Let us draw near. There's no longer any separation. You and I, when we have Jesus, now have a full backstage pass to God. You and I, because we have Jesus, Jesus has taken our life and redeemed it and turned us around and reconnected us to the Father. The veil is torn. And it changes the way we handle our relationship with God. In the Old Testament, their approach was terrifying. It was tentative, fearful, put a rope around the, you know, the leg of the priest in case he dies. But now our, our, our approach is confident. It's joyful. It's boldly going in. They had all these restrictions, all these things, the rules that they, couldn't, that they couldn't keep but that they had to keep. And you and I, it's not about the rules anymore. We have access beyond the veil. We can walk right in. And when you walk with Jesus... God welcomes you to the holy place, to the very throne of God. Do you see what this means for us? God is no longer this distant judge up in heaven, far away from us, far away over here that we can't be connected to. He's no longer unapproachable, eager to pass judgment on us. No, now because of Jesus Christ, we can freely approach the bench of the judge. And now the judge, instead of slapping down his gavel or taking your payment for sacrifice for your sin, gets down off the bench, comes around, puts his arms around you, and welcomes you into his family as his son and daughter. One of the things that we've noticed from the wall of baggage, and if you haven't been here, the stickers on the wall represent some baggage that we all decided to leave behind at all of our campuses. One of the things that we notice as we've been praying over them is the, is the theme of fear and anxiety. So much of that, and, and I get that. I mean, there's stuff going on in the world and, and stuff going on in your lives. It gives us fear and anxiety and worry, but that's no longer true when it comes to our relationship with God. We have full access. We boldly go before God and say, God, I need your help. So what do we need to do? We need to accept Jesus because you either have the law and the legal system to get you there and cursed is everyone who doesn't follow all of it or you accept Jesus, you get the backstage pass. 
And hey, God knows that we like physical reminders of things that are going on in our hearts. Do you notice one reference in that passage? Um, having had our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. That was completely a, 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 a symbol, that was completely a reference to water baptism. They were doing water baptism at this point. John the Baptist initiated it. Jesus did it. They were doing it. Peter tells us later that water symbolizes baptism that saves you not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience towards God. That's what water, that's what, that, that was our way. God said, I know you're going to want to do something, so here's what I'm going to give you to do. So next week, we're doing mass baptisms, ladies and gentlemen, right? Now, you can come and get baptized in your clothes. You can come and bring a change of clothes if you want. We'll have everything set up. We'll have hundreds of people at all of our campuses get baptized next weekend. And I don't think it could be any better time than Palm. We do it on Palm Sunday so that everybody is able to come back and, and just recognize how great Easter is. And you don't, have to, you don't have to think anything. You don't have to go to a class. If you just, just be here next week and ask the Lord to speak to your heart. And let's see what happens. Because, and it's not something that saves us. It's, it's about our hearts. It gives us full access to God. There was a day when a three-year-old boy ran amok through the White House. Walls, the halls of the White House had a little three-year-old toddler running around all the time. And nobody ever stopped him. Best soldiers were there. Presidential bodyguards were there. They did nothing to impede him. He usually passed several of the most important people in the world or the nation, at least, on his way, uh, walking around the White House, armed guards at the door. Nobody stopped him. And he would oftentimes walk into the Oval Office, crawl up on the lap of the most important person in the world, the President of the United States. It didn't matter what the President was doing. It didn't matter who he was with. His child had full access. Why? Because it was his child. Some of you remember the days of John F. Kennedy. Remembered as one of the few times when there were small children in the White House. And little John John could go wherever he wanted without a worry. I love this picture in Life magazine. Playing hide and seek under the desk of the most important man in the universe. Why did John John have access to the president? Was it because of anything that he had done? No, it was because... The Father made it possible. It's the same reason that we can crawl up at any time we want to into the lap of the creator of the universe. As he is our Father. Let's pray together. Lord, be with us as we worship for just a moment. Be with us and help our hearts to understand the magnitude of this Lenten season. And many of us have been through it many, many times and we get to this point and Christmas is awesome and we celebrate and we know Easter's coming and yet there's just so many other things that are going on in our hearts and our minds in between. Lord, will you let us for just a moment appreciate the fact that the veil has been torn into? It's in your name we pray. Amen.